0: Guys, there's some great energy in the house today. Yeah. We, we could get some things done with that kind of energy. Oh, we can get some breakthrough with that kind of energy. It's good to have you guys here with us today. How many of you would say you have come to New Life Midtown for the first time within the past three months? So the summer months. Let me just see hands if I could. Wow, look at that. Well, it's so great to have you here in our family, and I just want to extend a very real, personal, heartfelt welcome to every single one of you. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a little odd, to be honest with you, to have so many people in the house that I don't know well. I don't know your names. I don't know your stories. I don't know your children. I don't know... And I've been here in this church, along with my wife, for 18 years, so there's some people we've got loads of relational history with. And so I want you to know that if you sense the Spirit of God drawing you to this fellowship, we want you to know that our arms are wide open. This is, not a, this is not a cliquish group. This is not an exclusive group. We aim to be a family of believers chasing after the heart of God, hungry for the presence of the Lord, on mission with Him in the earth, And if God's joining you to us, we say, come one, come all. We got a work to do before Jesus comes back. Amen? Amen. 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 So God bless you guys. Thanks for being with us. Hey, I want to give you one quick announcement here. Lauren did a phenomenal job covering all these things. There's a lot of things that are happening in the house. Uh, But I want to make an announcement that we're going to unpack in more detail at our family talk next Sunday night. And this also has implications for the second Sunday of September. So for those of you who have been with us for a while, you know that there is no one that can come close to Jonathan Swindle as our worship pastor, right? Everybody give Jonathan a big hand. It was about nine years ago that I met Jonathan and Bonnie. We were both connected with ORU and... The Lord knit our hearts together, and through some sovereign steps and some sovereign events, the Lord brought the Swindle family out here to New Life Midtown. Now, don't fear. They're not leaving. You guys, I felt everybody's like, where are you going with this? This is happy news. This is great, great news. This is good news for our future. Um, So one of the beautiful blessings and benefits of being a part of the New Life family is that we have a centralized worship ministry that is raising up some of the best songwriters and worship leaders on the planet, and is staffing all of our eight congregations with these worship gifts. Uh And so we have the incredible privilege as the Lord is growing this house, as the Lord is growing Jonathan's gifts, as the Lord is growing my gifts, the Lord is adding to us. So Seth Putnam has been here with us several times now over the past four months, And we have been in a long process of discerning. Seth's been discerning, God, what are the next steps you have for me? We've been discerning, what are the next steps that you have for Jonathan and for Midtown? And in that process of discerning, we have come to the conclusion that God is adding Seth Putnam to Midtown to be our primary worship pastor. Come on, give him a hand. Where is Seth at? I keep looking around. He's in the back. All right, so some of you may be wondering, well, what are the implications of that for Pastor Jonathan? He's gonna be stepping more into a senior associate pastor role. Now, previous to this, I've been using executive pastor, but Jonathan is so much more than just an executive pastor, and that can be a little misleading. And so I'm gonna unpack this in more detail on September the 11th, when we commission Seth into the worship pastor role, and we commission Jonathan into our senior associate pastor role, because this man carries the heart of this house. He prays for you. He loves you. He reaches out to you. He sees you when you're here. He sees you when you're not here. He's constantly saying, hey, let's, let's check up on so-and-so. Let's check up on so-and-so. So Jonathan carries the heart of an associate pastor being trained and groomed to be a senior pastor someday, somewhere. Seth carries this church in his heart, you guys. One of the things I love about Seth is that several weeks ago when I sat down, I met with him. And I just said, tell me, what's burning in your heart? And he said, Pastor, I want to belong deeply to a community that I can help mark and draw these people deeper into the presence of God. Guys, Seth is a gift. Jonathan is a gift. And we're expanding. The Lord is just growing this house. So I'm thrilled. I want you to know this is a good, good thing. Again, we're gonna, we might unpack some of this more. For those of you who have questions at our family talk next week at 4 o'clock, And then on September the 11th, we're going to have a special commissioning moment in our service. We're going to bring Seth up. Uh, His father's going to be in town. It's going to be a sweet moment. We're going to lay hands on him, anoint him with oil. He's going to hit the ground running. We're going to lay hands on Jonathan. We're going to anoint him for his new duties. He's going to take about 90% of my meeting load off of me. I am rejoicing (laughs) with that. He's going to need the help of the Holy Ghost for all those meetings. (laughs) All right, friends, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Nehemiah chapter one. We're on a series today. We're beginning a series in the book of Nehemiah. And as you're turning to Nehemiah, I want you to just just get locked into Nehemiah. And while you're turning there, I'm actually going to read a couple of scriptures from Psalm 103. And as we were in worship, it's amazing how the Holy Spirit orchestrates set lists and sermons and what he's trying to accomplish we are a spirit-led house. Amen? Amen? That was really weak. We are a spirit-led, we are a spirit-empowered house yes. Amen. to be a spirit-led house. And as we were in worship, I kept hearing this theme here about righteousness and the forgiveness and the grace and mercy of God. The goodness of God chases after us even when we royally blow it. And what I want to do here as you're holding your spot in Nehemiah 1 is I want to read a couple of verses that we actually sang in our opening song today. And the reason why I'm doing this is because if, if we don't have a deep revelation of the God who loves us beyond measure and the God who obliterates our sin, if we don't have a deep revelation of the Father's love that makes us beloved sons and daughters in Him, then it would be very easy to hear the messages from last week and the message today and future ones to come with this air of condemnation. Friends, there is not an ounce of condemnation in the word. There is not an ounce, there is not a trickle, there is not a drop of condemnation in the heart of God. Some of you, when you think about God, you see, you literally see in the eyes of your spirit, you see someone folding their arms at you, maybe it was a previous coach or a mom. You see someone who was disappointed with you and your progress or your performance And I want to pray as I read these verses that God would wipe that away from the memory of your soul. That he would wipe that off of you. Because we don't have a God who is standing over us saying, why can't you get your act together? We don't have a God. Like, listen, the same God who told Peter through Jesus, how how often should we forgive our brother? Anybody remember? 70 times 7. And I don't know anybody in this room who is, who is sinning the same sin 490 times in one 24-hour period of time, right? Or maybe you do, but you just need to know that the same God who told Peter through Jesus that this is the degree of forgiveness, how much more forgiveness is in God towards us? So listen to these verses today, Psalm 103, verse 1. Praise the Lord, my soul. With all of my inmost being. In other words, with every fiber of my being, praise his holy name. Verse 2 says, praise the Lord my soul and forget not all of his benefits. Forget not all of his... Be- we have not even begun to excavate the benefits that are in God. I love Jonathan when he... When today, when he was leading worship, he said, I'm giving you a holy reminder... Sometimes we need to be reminded of how extravagant the benefits of God are for you. His forgiveness and grace and mercy towards you, friend, they literally have no end. There is no limitation and there is no measure for the forgiveness that God holds towards you. Right? It's like Christy said today it's literally a breath where you say, God, I turn, and He's there. I turn. I open my heart. You don't have to labor for this. You don't have to go through penance. You don't have to put yourself in the penalty box for two minutes and wait for the ref to call you back into the game after you've done enough quiet time. And There's no amount of verses that you can read to get yourself back. Just say, God, I'm here. Boom, right there. You're restored. You're redeemed. Let's go. Let's, Let's stop wasting time. The forgiveness of God and grace and mercy of God, they are for you and they're upon you. Verse 3 says, he is the God who forgives all of our sins. Say all. all. He's the God who forgives all of our sins and he heals all of our diseases. He redeems our life from the pit and crowns us with love and compassion. Now that I've read that, I just want to pray the Holy Spirit make that come alive in your spirit man today. That the Holy Spirit bring revelation of the immaculate love the Father has for you. He loves you more than you'll ever know. And he doesn't love you for what you do, and he's not upset with you when you, when you fail or when you sin. He's for you. He's advocating on your behalf. And he has paid the ultimate price, the most costly price, to restore fellowship back with you over and over and over again by the blood of his son, Jesus. Amen? Amen. All right, now let's go to Nehemiah chapter 1. I'm going to do something that I have not typically done here, and I don't know if this is going to become a normal thing, but I'm going to ask all of you to stand if you can. If you can stand, I'm going to ask for you to stand. I discovered something reading the book of Nehemiah because I've read it through now several times getting ready for this sermon series and I discovered that when Nehemiah was restoring the people back to the Word of God, Ezra would make the people stand before the reading of the Word. And every week we have a scripture. It's a cornerstone scripture that we start off with, that we connect or link everything to. And I think it would be appropriate just to like posture our bodies in this place of reverence and openness. We're going to read the entire first chapter of Nehemiah today. It's only what? 12 verses or so, 11 verses. So Hear the word of the Lord today, the words of Nehemiah, son of Hacaliah, in the month of Kislev in the twentieth year, while I was in the citadel of Susa. Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. And they said to me, "Those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down." And its gates have been burned with fire. And when I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And then I said, Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer that your servant is praying before you day and night. For your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws that you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying that if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there, and I will bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering or fearing your name. Give your servants success today, By granting him favor in the presence of this man, I was cupbearer to the king. Let's pray. Holy Spirit. I just sense that you have so many things to unpack and reveal to us in the next seven weeks as we study the book of Nehemiah. I believe that there are encounters with the living God in this book. I believe that Jesus is going to come to us and be more clearly revealed to us in this book. I believe that you're going to give answers to businessmen and business leaders and businesswomen in this book. I believe, God, that you're going to reanimate the heart of moms and dads that cry out for a wall to be built around their children. I believe, God, that you're going to encounter the singles God, that you're going to remind them that there is a wall around their purity and a wall around their lives and their purpose and their destiny. And God, that you're here to rebuild the walls of holiness and sanctification in and around them. Spirit of the living God, we just submit to you today. We pray that the gospel would be heard clearly. We pray that the heart of God would be found and communicated. God, we ask that you would give us grace to hear the word and to respond to the word in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 But friends, I, I want to get to a little bit just a little bit of a response time today. So uh, what we're going to do, we're not going to get into a lot of history or meat about Nehemiah. We're actually going to touch what I'm going to call a prequel to Nehemiah, a prequel. So for those of you who might be new to the scriptures, here's a, a huge general arc overview that leads us to this book, very, very simply. God rescued a people that were in bondage in the nation of Egypt. It's the nation of Israel. He called them to himself. He gave them a very special place in his heart and a very special purpose to be his priests in the earth and to represent him and to ultimately bring the gospel into the world through Jesus. Now, this nation, the nation of Israel, repeatedly for hundreds of years rebelled against God. So God would send judges and he would send kings to remind them of the word and to remind them of their special destiny. And over and over and over again, they would rebel, they would disobey, they would turn their hearts to idols and, and wick, wicked leaders would arise and they would experience incredible hardship under these wicked leaders and wicked kings. Finally, it got to such a place that the level of their disobedience and rebellion had gotten so wicked before God that they were thrown into captivity. Neighboring nations had come in, conquered Israel and Judah, taken them off into captivity in Babylon. And over a course of 70 years, God was still speaking to them while they were enslaved in another nation's land. The book of Nehemiah is actually the third of three waves of a return. It's after the exile, 70 years have gone by, And over a course of 100 years, there have been three movements where the people of Israel have returned back to Jerusalem. Jerusalem has been utterly decimated by its enemies. Uh, As you can see there, the walls have been broken down and the gates have been burned by fire. So imagine coming back to your home in Colorado Springs looking around And those things that you determine to be beautiful, where you have memory, where you've established uh, great moments here in this city, you look around and it's gone. It's gone. It's utterly destroyed. That's the context of where we're picking this up today. There's two things that I want to hit very quickly. The first is that in this moment of utter despair and ruin, Nehemiah cries out and confesses the sin of his life and his family and the sins of his nation. The most appropriate thing that we can do, the moment you sense the conviction of God upon you, the moment you look at the situation that you're in and you realize, Lord, I've contributed to this. I've made a mess of this. I've made a mess of my life. I've made a mess of my marriage. I've made a mess of my family. I've made a mess of everywhere that I go. And I'm just, I'm just feeling hopelessness. Nehemiah gives us a key. And he says, friends, turn and confess to God. To confess just means to be ridiculously honest with your mistakes and trust that God is good. That's all confession is. God, I blew it. I'm sorry, and I need your help. And that's the first response. But what I want to hit today here for just a couple of minutes is what do we do before confession? What do we do before we get to a place where Our lives are in shambles. Here's another way of asking this. How do we prevent getting to a place where the walls of our life are broken and the gates of our homes are burned in fire? Is there any hope for us to not get to that place? And I think there is. And what I want to do is I want to prod you today and I want to prod us today. As we start our journey in Nehemiah, I want to prod us to be a Psalm 24 people, a generation that seeks hard after God, so I believe the key when we recognize sin is confession and repentance. But the key to avoid sin is a life of holiness and affection. So go with me if you would to Psalm 24. Psalm 24 we're going to look at verse 3. I've been praying these verses over you all week long church. And I believe that there I believe there is an encounter for you in these three verses. Psalm 24 verse 3 says, "Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord, and who may stand in his holy place, who may ascend, who may climb, who may go up into the holy presence of God. This is a throwback of Moses. How many of you remember that when God redeemed the children of Israel out of slavery from the nation of Egypt, he called Moses up into the high part of his mountain, and there's four things that happen when we ascend the mountain of the Lord. There's at least four. There's a lot of things, but there's at least four. Number one, we have an encounter with the Living God. It's one of our missional components here at New Life Midtown. Like when we gather together in small groups or in large, one of the things that we're praying for is that every single one of you would encounter the Living God. Right? Good preaching's not enough right? Good Sunday church attendance is not enough. Giving all your money away to the poor is not enough. Friends, you need to, you need to have an encounter, right? Where your eyes are opened, mm-hmm. where the, for, for the essence of your spirit beholds the essence of the fullness of God and something comes alive inside of you. And we're praying, God, encounter every individual at New Life Midtown. I call you by name and I pray that God encounter your lives, Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who wants to go up? Who wants an encounter with God? This is is what the psalmist is saying. Who desires this? Second thing that happens when we encounter the Lord is not just, or we go up to the mountain of the Lord, it's not just an encounter, but it's intimacy. It's intimacy. I love this verse in the book of Deuteronomy where it says that Moses would go up and he would go up to the mountain and he would encounter God, but Joshua, his young assistant, would stay He would stay in the presence of God. Friends, if you desire intimacy with the Lord, God is calling you to climb up to the mountain. He's calling you to climb up to the mountain. In the book of Revelation chapter four, the scripture says that John was on the island of Patmos. He was excommunicated. He was sent to the island of Patmos as a form of punishment. And it says that he was in the spirit on the Lord's day and he looked up and he saw there was a door in heaven and the spirit of God said, come up here. Come up here. Come up here. I have something to show you. Come up here. I, the, the heart of God is summoning us to come into his presence. Third thing that happens when we climb the mountain of the Lord, it's not just an encounter. It's not just intimacy, but God pours out revelation. He pours revelation out upon you. Friend, you and I, we need, more, we, we need revelation more than you, you realize. Right? Right? One of the things that we were praying for today when we were praying for those hopeless situations, when you get revelation into your hopeless situation, you get a wisdom from God that is greater than the problem that you found yourself in. You get a revelation that Jesus is worth it. Right. The thing that's going to hold our faith for decades until Christ returns or until we we leave this earth is a revelation of the beauty and the worth and the magnificence of Jesus. And I'm just, I'm just coming to realize that I don't know how much Jesus is worth. One of the things I'm trying to teach my kids is what's valuable. What's valuable. And every single one of us, we need revelation of what's valuable. Because when you understand what's valuable, you'll protect things that are valuable. You'll work for things that are valuable. You'll wait for things that are valuable. But if you have no revelation of that by your spirit, you'll throw away your birthright like Esau did. Esau didn't have a revelation of his birthright, and so in a moment when he was hungry, in a temporary moment of physical fulfillment, he gave away something that was for his children and his children's children because he had no revelation of what was valuable. He gave away the blessing of the firstborn because he had no revelation of what was valuable. Are you hearing me today, church? All right, so in the presence of God, God begins to open the eyes of your spirit to what's valuable. It's not just about getting solutions. It's about understanding this is what matters. This is what's valuable. You cannot have sustaining life change without revelation of what's valuable. It'll be fleeting, and it'll be frustrating. And it'll be frustrating because it's so fleeting. And it's fleeting because our hearts are fickle. Are you hearing me today? Right. We must have a revelation that can only come by God's Spirit to our spirit in the presence of God and by the word of God. Here's the next thing that happens in the presence of God. We have transformation. Christy read this verse. I want to go back here to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Verse 17. Scripture says that the, the, the spirit of the Lord brings freedom. That where the spirit is, there's liberty. There's freedom. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Verse 17. Where the spirit is, there is liberty and there is freedom. Now, look at verse 18. This, this is where it gets really amazing. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, we are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I want to read that one more time. We all, say we all. With unveiled faces, in other words, we come into the presence of God with nothing hidden. We come into the presence of God with no masks, with no pretense. We come into, remember when God was going into the garden and he was saying, Adam, where are you? Where are you? God knew where Adam was at, but Adam was hiding in the presence of God. And when the scripture says in 2 Corinthians 3.18 that we're to come into the presence of God with unveiled faces, we're saying, God, I'm here and everything inside of me is open to you. To you, my heart is open. Nothing here is hidden. Come, God, examine every part of my life. Transformation cannot happen without absolute honesty in the presence of the living God. You've got to be willing to allow him to say things to you that hurt you. Because the wounds of a friend can be trusted. God is your friend. He's on your side. And when he says things that seem like they cut you, friend, know this. They cut you in order to heal you. They cut you for your good. So with unveiled faces, we come before the presence of the living God. And it says, we stand in his glory and we're transformed into his image with an ever-increasing glory. This is the way that I've been praying it. God, as I look at you, I become like you. As I look at you, I become like you. I've just been praying this. God, I want to look at you until I become like you. I want to look at you until I become like you. I want to look at you until I'm, I'm no longer characterized by anger, but I'm characterized by the gentleness and goodness of God because I want to look at you until I become like you. I'm transformed from glory to glory in your presence. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? It's the one who desires an encounter with God that leads to intimacy, that brings us into revelation, that ultimately transforms us to reveal the image of God in our lives. Let's keep reading here in Psalm 24, who may ascend to the Lord and who may stand in his holy place. I need the help of the Holy Spirit today to awaken something inside of you to say, I wanna stand in the presence of the Lord. I wanna pay the price to ascend up to the mountain of God. So he gives us a little bit of a formula here. He says, the person who stands in the presence of the Lord and climbs the mountain of the Lord, verse four, is the one who has clean hands and a pure heart. The person who has clean hands. I love this. There was a young man that came up to me at the men's fire pit event last week and he said, Pastor Jade, man, I'm a fired up. You preached a word today and it stirred something inside of me, but I'm, I'm kind of at a loss of what to do from here. I so appreciate that. And as I've been chewing on that and thinking about that all week long, it's, to me, it's, it's simple, but it will cost you everything, right? So what do we do? How do we respond? It's more time in his presence, and it's more time in his word. It's ascend the hill of the Lord. It's stand before his holy presence quietly. It's, it's live in the word until the word lives in you. And it will change you. And it will awaken. The word works. The presence and the spirit and the word, they work. And they've been working throughout all of eternity. And if we'll just give him time, he'll do the work in our lives. right? This message today was born out, out of meditating on John chapter 13. I don't know if it's on the slide or not. But in John chapter 13, Jesus is just about to lay his life down. He's spending these intimate moments with, the, with his disciples and it starts off with him washing his disciples' feet. And there's this moment where he comes to, Jesus comes to Peter and he's about to wash his feet and Peter recoils and he says, Jesus, you can't do that, right? You can't do that. And then Jesus responds in John chapter 13, verse eight, and he says, if I cannot wash you, then you have no part of me. That's right. And man, I'm telling you, I just began to meditate on that until the word came alive. And I began to cry out, God, wash me. Wash me, wash me, wash my hands, wash my motives, wash my mind, wash my imagination. When I lay my head down on my pillow, I know the things that run through, the the, the fascinations and the fantasies of my mind, they're not clean. God, wash me. Wash me. Wash, wash what I do. Wash what I give myself to. Friends, if you desire greater intimacy with God, it begins with allowing God to invade the, the, the spaces of your heart and your mind and cleanse them. Yes. Intimacy is a byproduct of the cleansing power of God in your life. Right. Go to Proverbs chapter 16, verse 2. Jonathan, you can come up whenever you want. Go to Proverbs chapter 16, verse 2. Proverbs 16.2 says this. I don't think I have it up there, Drew, but it says that there is a way that seems right to a person. There is a way that seems right to a person. You can do good things and think you're doing them from the right motive. But then Proverbs 16.2 reveals to us that it's the Lord who weighs the motives of our heart. I just assume that my motives are not right. I, I just start off and I say, whatever it is that I'm doing, whether I'm worshiping or fasting or reading the word or praying, I just assume, God, my motives probably aren't completely right here, right? And so I just say, God, would you search my motives? Would you cleanse my motives? Would you sanctify the motivation of my heart? And you can play whenever you want, Jonathan. I'm going to bring this here to a landing strip. Cleanse my motives. Cleanse my, cleanse my why. Cleanse my Why? Sanctify my why. This is a part of us ascending the mountain of the Lord. This is a part of us becoming a generation of God's seekers. This is part of us being a people who break the cycle of just apathy and lethargy and compromise and sliding into sin and getting into bondage and then getting frustrated and crying out to God and then doing the thing over and over. God has more for you than the cycle of just sin and apathy and bondage and indifference in your life. He's got more for you, church. He's called you to be a people who live with a sustaining fire. There's a sustaining passion. There is a sustaining romance. Yesterday I had the privilege of renewing the vows for dear, dear family friends here in the house. 25 years, 25 years. And this sly dog, man, the guy who was getting his vows renewed, 25 years ago when they got married, he purchased a silver platter and, he, and on that silver platter, he inscribed happy 25th anniversary. And has it always been easy? Has it always been phenomenal? No, but this, this, this couple, through frustrations, through being distanced, through, through being in the military. They have fought for friendship and intimacy and to have a sustaining passion in their marriage. And guys, that's what God wants for us. God doesn't, God doesn't want some indifferent relationship where you tolerate him. That's not why God created you. God created you for wonder and glory in him, right? He's saying, come up to the mountain of the Lord. Come up to the mountain of the Lord. Let me cleanse your hands. Let me cleanse your motives. Here's the next thing that it says in Psalm 24. I've got to get to this one. I've got to get to this one. Next thing in Psalm 24, it says this. It says that they have not trusted in idols. You want to climb the mountain of the Lord and stand in the holy place? You've got to let God wash your hands. This is, the, this is your external actions. You wanna climb up to the mountain of the Lord for an encounter and for revelation and intimacy, you've gotta let God cleanse your heart, right? But here's the thing, you've gotta identify the idols that are in your life and you've got to declare war on the idols of your heart, friend. The things that have captured your affection that are more than God. What is an idol, Pastor Jade? It's very simple. It's anything or it's anyone that you've put your trust in that you've put your confidence in, that you've given your affection to, or that you desire more than God, it's an idol. Anything can be an idol. My children can become an idol in my life, right? The calling of God can become an idol in my life when I want my calling more than I want time and intimacy with God himself. You've got to declare war on the idols of your life, friends. And I'm telling you, and here's here's what I want you to do in the presence of God today, let it start, and then carry this into your week today. I want you to take inventory of everything that is vying for your heart, that is vying for your attention. There are things that are screaming for your attention. There are things whispering for your attention. Come away with me, come away with me, come away with me. And let's remember there's no guilt or condemnation in this, right? The moment you realize that the voice and the whispers of idols are trying to steal you from the heart of God, you just stop and you say, no, no more, no more. I declare war on you today. You are no longer allowed to have my attention or my affection. You don't, you don't, get, you don't get my trust or my confidence anymore. Destroy the idols in your life, church. For me, I know what some of my idols are, right? Being a man pleaser. seeking the, the opinion of others can become an idol in my life, right? Leisure, entertainment can become an idol in my life. Power and control can become an idol in my life. I've just, I've got to control everything that's happening that can become an idol in my life, right? Coaching, sports can become an idol. Who my kids become can become an idol in my life. And right now, guys, I'm doing serious business in the presence of God. Because where God is taking us, listen to me, I'm speaking prophetically now. Where God is taking us, there is a realm of power that God has for New Life Midtown. But it cannot be apprehended without lives of purity. Like I am crying out that there will be lost people that come in and there is such a measure of purity on the worship team. There is such a measure of purity There is such a measure of sanctification and consecration and holiness on this worship ministry that people walk in and they fall down before the holy presence of God. Some of you guys have heard this story, but Charles Finney walked into a factory and he just looked at someone and they fell apart crying under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Guys, I want to walk into our city want to go to King Supers and say thank you to the person who's and they just weep and they fall apart under the conviction of the love of God and the holy presence of God. I want an intolerance for sin in my life. I want an intolerance for sin. Not in the spirit of the law, but in the, not in the letter of the law, but in the spirit of the law, I want an absolute hatred for everything that is perverse and wicked in my life. And I'm going to war and I'm asking you to join me. Would you stand with me to your feet this morning? We're gonna spend some time. And as Jonathan leads us for the next few minutes, I want you to just receive the goodness of God. And I also want you to say, God, would you search me today? Search me, examine me. See if there be any wicked way within me. Search my motives. Search my attitude. Search my responses. God, give me clean hands. Can we just pray this together? Oh God, say, oh God, would you give me clean hands? Would you give me a pure heart? I repent today for worshiping idols. I declare war on the idols of my mind And my heart God I ask today Lead me into truth In Jesus name Come on let's respond in the presence of the Lord For a few minutes before we come to the table So
1: God let us be A generation That seeks Seeks your face Oh God Jacob Oh God let us be generation that seeks, seeks your face. Oh God, Jacob, oh God, let us be a generation that seeks, seeks your face. Oh God, Jacob, give us clean us pure hearts, let us not lift our souls to another, give us clean hands, give us pure hearts. Spirit, come make us humble. We turn our eyes from evil things. Oh Lord, we cast down our idols. Give us clean hands. Give us pure Sweet.
0: couple of things here before we come to the table and drew i don't know if this is in the notes but i want to go to first john chapter one and i want us to look at verses five through nine. First john chapter one verses five through nine and while we're just singing those songs a couple of things came to me number one the conviction of the holy spirit is a gift the conviction of the holy spirit is a gift to you it protects you and it prevents your heart from getting out of the rails it protects you. The, the conviction of God is a gift. So friend, never run from the conviction of God. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. You and I cannot even repent without the goodness of God leading us into repentance, right? Second thing is we were just worshiping there. Some of us in this room, security is an idol. And it's cloaked in really good things like taking care of your family and setting up an inheritance for your children and a lot of times idols aren't just these like overt things where you go oh i i don't want to be a drug dealer no 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 listen right they're cloaked in good things they look good and they probably began good but somewhere of the process of time like something just got off and it began to consume your heart your attention and your affection it began to occupy and take ownership of your attention and your affection, all right? For some of you in this room, your social circle. That's what I heard. For some of you, it was security. For others, it was your social circle and your image, right? The people that you run with that has become an idol because they are dominating your attention and they are consuming your affection. And you're, you're making decisions in your life based on your social circle and your image that are contrary to following God faithfully and obediently. Right? So let's just say, God, thank you for that conviction. And Lord, every idol of our lives, we just submit to you to come and tear down Dagon. Just tear it down. Just tear it down. Dagon is not allowed to stand in the temple of the presence of God. Get in the presence of the Lord and he will shine his light on every dark corner of your heart. And it's a good thing because ultimately your spirit wants to be clean. You want that. Ultimately, your spirit desires holiness. That's what you want more than anything. You just don't know it, but your spirit knows it because it's God's spirit inside of you saying, let's let's go get holy. Let's go get clean before the Lord. First John chapter 1, verse 5. Let me declare this over you as we come to the table. Verse 5 says, this is the message that we have heard from him. And this is the message that we prophetically declare and announce to you. God is light. Can you say that? God is light. And in him there is not a drop of darkness. There is not a hint. There is not a trace. There is is not an ounce of darkness in God. You're not going to find it because utter and absolute concentrated light dwells in the reality of the essence of who God is. He is light. He is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. And if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet we continue to walk in the darkness, here's what it says. We lie. And what happens when we lie is if we continue to lie to ourselves, we begin to partner with a spirit of deception. And when you partner with the spirit of deception, you don't know whether or not you're living in truth or darkness anymore because you're deceived. The nature of deception is nobody, you're you're the last one to know that you're deceived. This is why fellowship is so important. Look at verse seven, look at verse seven. But if we walk in the light, in the same way that he is in the light. In other words, if we ascend the mountain of the Lord and cry out for holiness, if we ascend the mountain of the Lord and we stand in the holy place of God, here's what's gonna happen. You're gonna have fellowship with one another. And only real fellowship will allow you to receive from a brother when they say, you're not living right. I've seen this for years, guys. People that used to be best friends, they get caught up in deception and their closest friend will come and say, man, something's off, and they push them away because they have partnered with the spirit of deception that makes them love their darkness more than the fellowship that comes with living in the light. Right? So we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Verse nine, look at verse nine. Verse nine. If we confess our sins, he's faithful. Can you just announce that today, church? He's faithful. Say, you are faithful. He is faithful and he is just. And he will forgive every sin. And he will purify you from all unrighteousness. And that's what we're going to hang our hope on as we come to the table today. Brothers and sisters, beloved ones, I invite you to come to the table as we receive the body and the blood of Jesus. And we're going to stake deeply our faith in the fact that God has forgiven us and he will purify us. And he is going to draw us deeper into his presence in this year. Come to the table.
1: Fast and forever, make us holy as you are. Through the suffering of the Son, a sacrifice of love. of love. Soul.
0: Make us holy.
1: Make us holy. Hallelujah.
0: Friends, the more that I pray for you, the more I just feel this hot, holy jealousy for you. Like I'm jealous with affection for you to be the sons and daughters that he's called you to be. It's like almost uncontrollable. Like I weep over the purpose and the destiny of God in your lives and I know that as I experience and I just begin, I'm just beginning to touch that, here's what I know. It's, it's just a glimmer of what God is feeling for you. He is jealous for you with a hot and holy jealousy of love. He is, He's jealous for you, friends. And every other thing that is trying to steal your attention and affection from God, you need to know, I don't want you to hear jealously like, like angry, He's jealous, as in he wants every moment with you, right? I love the summer, and here's one of the reasons why I love the summer, and you're going to laugh at me, but I go through a crying session every time the summer's over, because in the summer, I get these loads of time with my children. The moment I wake up, they're in my house. We have meals together. We laugh. We go explore places. Everything's a yes within reason, and then school starts and they're out the door by seven and they're getting home at eight and I'm jealous. If I could hang everything up and just be a teacher just so I could just see them. God is jealous for you with that kind of jealousy, friends. He loves you, he loves you, he loves you. He He yearns for time with you, amen? On the night when Jesus was betrayed, sat in a room with his closest friends, One of the most intimate moments any human beings ever experienced, the Son of God, the Word of God incarnate stood across from 12 sinful humans, one who was about to betray Him. And He looked at them with liquid love in His eyes, and He says, friends, this piece of bread here, this is my body. I'm going to allow my body to undergo suffering, to be broken for you. Friends, let us receive the body of Christ. then jesus took the cup and he says this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood this covenant is eternal it is sealed forever in the heavens and nothing is more powerful than the, than the blood of jesus nothing not murder not rape not incest not idolatry there is no sin in your life your shame is not greater than the blood of jesus your guilt Your mistakes, your infidelity, your rage, your anger, none of this compares to the power of the blood of Jesus. And so right now, I wanna pray that the power of the blood of Jesus would be revealed to your spirit and that it would be appropriated to your mind and that it would begin the cleansing process of making us even more holy as beloved sons and daughters. Let us receive the cup today, church. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Hallelujah. Let me give you a real, real simple thing to do. You can go on Bible Gateway or Bible Hub or Blue Letter, or you can just type in Scriptures on Holiness. Okay, that's what I did this week. I, what I did is I just I just typed in Scriptures on Holiness and Scriptures on Purity, and then I just I just copy and pasted those scriptures and put them in a Google Doc. And I walk around now and I can show you the I can show you the doc right now. And I just pray those scriptures. I just pray them. John 17, 17, Jesus said, sanctify them by truth. Your word is truth. I pray that till it becomes alive in me, until I desire holiness more than I desire deception. Right? And just pray those. Pray those over you. Speak them over your mind. Speak them over your motives and your attitudes. Speak them over your hands. Speak the cleansing power of purity over your relationships. And listen, listen, God will meet you there. Just keep doing it. And he will visit you. And you will never be the same. Will you hold up your hands as I send you out of this place? Anybody who wants prayer, please come up to these prayer partners. They want to grab hands with you and agree with you. But right now, as you are launched from this house, you are launched as beloved sons and daughters. You are thrust out of this presence right now to be presence carriers. You are being shot out of this amazing space to go and be ambassadors of righteousness. To invite people to your table to invite people to your home, to invite people to your table group, to invite people to this church. You're being sent right now to step in and pray for the sick. You're being sent right now to be good leaders and good workers in the spaces that God has called you to be. You're being sent to represent God as a husband or as a wife or a father or a mother or a single man or a single woman who is living life differently. You are sent today in the name of Jesus. May the grace and the power and the empowerment of God and the goodness of God be upon you until I see you again in Christ's name. Amen. God bless you guys.